علی علی لما سبکتانی پاورفول ورد سو پاورفول that you spoke it once and it is saving generations after. Saving those in despair, saving those in sin, and giving hope to the hopeless Lord. Father, as we go through the agony of Jesus, the joy that is set before him, Lord, open our eyes and open our hearts so that we may hear you and behold your glory and transform it by it, Lord. Let us see the love that is above all confession. So, Lord, speak and let us listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 27. retells the final passion that Jesus is going through, the final suffering that is passing through, the price that he's paying. And here, there is one word that appears again and again, again and again, again. That is the word king or Christ. Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah, the one the Jews are expecting to come to deliver them. In verse 11, you see Pilate asking him, are you the king of Jews? And you see Jesus answering, you have said so. And in verse 17, you see Pilate Asking the Jews, whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they rejected their king. They rejected him. They want Barabbas to be freed. In verse 22, you see Pilate asking again, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he has done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So now, not only he is rejected, but you see he is delivered to death. As he has predicted during his mission. Rejected, delivered. And then, in verse 29, we see, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, king of Jews! You see him being mocked for being a king. Then we see him being charged for being a king as well. Let's see verse 37. And over his head, as he was crucified, they poured a charge against him, which reads, 
This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. That was his charge. That is why he is crucified, because he is the king of the Jews. And at verse 42, again the word king appears, and it says, they were mocking, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. You see, not they were only mocking him, but we see him challenging them. This is, this is a bit of a similar test that Jesus was tested at the beginning of his ministry. He was laid by the Spirit into a wilderness, and he was tested by the devil. And the test was repeatedly, if you are the Son of God, change the stone to bread and eat. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself. So that the test was for Jesus to act in disobedience and reveal that he's the Son of God. Use so that he disobediently passed the suffering, the momentary suffering that he has to go through. And Jesus defeated again and again by quoting scriptures. And here, at the final moment, the same test reappeared. The whole world united together. Jews and Gentiles, they turned their face against him. And they were all asking the same question the devil tested. But here, with a lot of suffering, with a lot of affliction, with a lot of pain, in the midst of the cross, they are asking him, if you are the king, then come down, we will believe in you. And, and surprisingly, indeed, that is what the world think of kings. This is the kind of kings the world accepts. The world accepts king that crushes them, that rule over them, And for them, the ultimate problem is the Romans. If you just get down from the cross, save them from the Romans, that means that is the king that they need. They taught that. But they have forgotten the depths of their problem. Because the depths of their problem were at Romans. We often miss what our actual problem is. The actual problem, the real issue, is not what they are beholding in their face. The real issue is their sin, their separation from God, and days. And Jesus was not the kind of king they were expecting. He was not a king that was going to come down from the cross, but he was a king that is going to die on the cross. He is not defeating the Romans. He is defeating the real enemy, death and sin. And he is giving us the real gift. And that gift is being united to God. He is forsaken. And here, at this final moment, we see Jesus cry. He did not respond in any way to all these mockings. 
But then he said, in verse 46, it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So clearly, clearly, the first thing, without going any detail, that we see is, Jesus is actually forsaken on the cross. He is forsaken. As first Peter chapter 3 puts it, Christ suffered once, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he can bring us to God. So he is really forsaken, so that we will enjoy the fellowship with the Lord. So he is really forsaken. This is a reality. Jesus knows what he's going through because he's bearing our sin. He's bearing our suffering. He's bearing our days. But not only that, by crying the same words, he's quoting the beginning line of Psalm 22. Of course, at that time, you don't have verses and chapters. So one way you quote scripture is by quoting verses from that particular chapter. So he's quoting by quoting this Eli Eli Lama Sabachthani, which is an Aramaic translation, the first Eli Eli in Hebrew, my God, my God, of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, which is the beginning of Psalm 22. And hence, Jesus is opening a window for us so that we will be able to see what he is actually going through. And what is the joy that he set before him? Why is he enduring all this? So he's opening a huge window for us to come in and behold the glory. Behold the glorious king. And by quoting this psalm, of course, this is the psalm of the Messiah, the psalm of the king. So Jesus is affirming, indeed, he is the promised king. He did not waver in trust. He is the king. Jesus is the king from the cross. Whether the, the world will accept it or not, Jesus is the king from the cross defeating the real enemy. Now this brings us to Psalm 22. What is Jesus going through? You can turn your Bible or open your Bible if you to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22. Now, we will go slowly through this verse. First, we will go from verse 1 to half of verse 21 and see the intensity of the forsakenment and the intensity of the pain, the emotional, the physical, in all levels, the depth of the, the pain that Jesus is experiencing. We'll start from there. Now, zooming a little bit further, from verse 1 to verse 5, we see Jesus quoting the first line, which is, My God and my God, why have you forsaken me? So, as we just said, he is forsaken. And he says, why are you so far from saving me from the word of my groaning? Oh my God, 
I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. So he is crying, and he's not getting answer. The father is silent. He's just silent. He's crying in depths of pain. Do you know the pain when you cry in a deep pain and you, you don't get an answer? I mean, Jesus is experiencing it to, to the depths of it. On the cross, he's experiencing this. Not getting any answer at all. He's crying. And you know what intensifies the pain? Verse 3 to verse 5 intensifies the pain. Because here, yet, as a comparison, yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our father trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So what intensifies the pain was, there were fathers. And these fathers of Israel, sinful, have fallen from the glory of God in various ways. We're not continuously trusting. But when they cry, you see, when to you they cried and were rescued. So these sinners cried and get rescued. And Jesus cried. And he was silent. To show you the intensity, I want to show you verse 3 and verse 5 really happening in history. Let me, let me take you to Psalm 107. Just to show you one verse. Take your Bible to Psalm 107, verse 10 to 14. Psalm 107, verse 10 to 14. See, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of days, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the word of God. They rebelled against the word of God, and that's why they are passing through this. And spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then, see the word here, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. So do you see, if you see the whole 100, Psalm 107, it's repetition again and again. Sinners going to affliction, crying to the Lord, he saving them. His heart growing warm. He could not leave them there. He moves with compassion and he saves them, although they were sinners and they were there because of that same reason. Now going back to Psalm 22, here we see Jesus, we see Jesus crying, sinless Jesus crying, but not hurt. So painful, if you know this feeling. You are crying, no help, no answer, and sinners cry, they got an answer. Verse 6 to verse 10 intensifies again the intensity. The key term that it matches with verse 3 to 5 is the word trust. They trust and he delivers them. And in verse 6 to 10 we see Jesus 
trust, but he's forsaken. See, but, comparisonly, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wage their heads and say, He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. The reality is, there was no one in this world who trusted like Jesus. No wavering at all. As he walks in this world, in his service, there was not a single point Jesus wavered in faith. He was fully trusted. Yet, he's mocked for his trust. And we, we, we remember in Matthew, this exact same verses, they were saying to Jesus, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. They were saying the exact same words, right? That we saw that in Matthew. So Jesus, for trusting, he's mocked. They, for trusting, they were delivered. See the intensity of the pain that he's going through. This is not easy. Do you know that feeling? Being mocked? Then we see, third... What is the deposition of the moment that Jesus is passing through? What is actually he is going through? What is the moment, this suffering, this affliction, this forsakenment look like? Where, in what situation is he forsaken? And, interestingly, verse 11 and verse 19 are the exact same terms. Let's see. Verse 11, be not far from me for... For trouble is near and there is none to help. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not, far, do not be far off again. Oh, my help, come quickly to my aid. Similar. Deliver my soul from the sword and my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of lion. So we see verse 12 to verse 18 squeezed between these two verses. They are squeezed, they are sandwiched in, this, in these two. So, what I will do is, let, let us first take verse 12 to verse 18, and we'll go back to this upper sandwich. So, we start, we start with the meat, and we, we go to the bread. So, what's happening? Verse 12 to 13. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me, it's, a, it's just expression of enemy, they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. So you see the king, the king, being surrounded by his enemies who are ready to crush him, ready to devour him, ready to eat him. They are ready for that. That's, that's the situation he's in. And not only ready, he's actually crushed, see, verse 14 to 15, to the point his strength is totally dried. He has no strength. See, verse 14 to 15. I am poured out like a water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a postherd, and my tongue sticks to my joys. You lay me in the dust of days. Do you see? 
There is no strength left in him. His heart melted. And he, when he cried, Eli, Eli, Lemasa Bakhtani, he cried almost from no strength. He had no strength. This is the pain that he's going through. No strength at all. And from verse 16 to 18, you see the deposition of the moment. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hand and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garment among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. These are the exact expression we have seen happening in Matthew, right? When we read the, the scripture reading, these were exact things that was happening. He's pierced, he's on the cross, and they are dividing his garment among them. So painful is passing through. Now we come to the sandwich. Where is the father when this happens? Where is he? Verse 11. Be not be far off. Verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. That means, clearly, the father is far off. He's seeing his son, his only beloved son, his obedient son, suffer. And bearing our sin and our iniquities, the father turned his face. No one is with Jesus. No one. Even the Father forsaken him on the cross. Now, now we should understand that this is not easy for the Father. Those of you who have children know the feeling. When, you're, you're, when your child gets sick, it's very painful. And we know that the Father, you know, we know that the Father is compassionate. Not only for his child, but our God, our Father, is compassionate even for the sinners who cried in, who said to them. Now the Father, Almighty, all-powerful, enthroned on the praises of Israel, watching. It's painful. It's painful. If you know what it feels like to see your child getting sick, this is nowhere close to this. This is his only beloved son being crucified there and the father doing nothing at all. What greater gift would it be more than this? Now, from verse 21b to the end of the psalm, Suddenly, the psalm changes from the psalm of agony and pain and suffering to a psalm of triumph. I try to count the word praise or worship or bowing down or awe, and they appear to me more than nine times, around nine times they appear in these verses. Something great happened between these verses. And verse 21b says, You have rescued me from the horns of a wild ox. We all know Jesus was not rescued from the cross. But that doesn't mean 
he was left to the grave. We all know that God did not leave Jesus to see all. He did not leave him into grave and he raised him. And Hebrew chapter 5 actually puts him beautifully that Jesus on his days in this world with cry he presented his request to the father who was able to save him. And it was hard because of his reverence. Because he obeyed to the days the father heard but the way of the answer was through the resurrection. Jesus was risen. That is what happened. That is what changed from agony to an amazing song of praise and worship. Jesus defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And he has been triumphant. And this praise is much greater than the praise that we see in verse 3. We see that you are enthroned on the praises of Israel, right? That was the sentence, right? When he delivers them. But here, we see a much more extended praise, which we will see in a bit. But now in Jesus, we see the apex of God's glory being revealed and the glory being manifested. One preacher, John Piper, puts it, if God's glory is a mountain, at the top, you'll find Jesus. And at the, at the apex of the mountain, you see Jesus dying. So, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the praise that God receives is incomparable. There is no way we can praise God to the level we can praise him through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the greatest praise of all. Because he has done it. Let's go into the details of the praise now. Verse 22 to 25. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him. But has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. So here, what we see is, Jesus, who was alone on the cross, suddenly appeared in the midst of brothers. What just happened? And we see Jesus leading them in praise. They are praising, they are being led into praise, and we see many more brothers here. What happened? Where did these brothers come from? And Hebrew again gives us an insight by quoting the exact same verses. These verses, I will tell of your name to my brother in the midst of congregation, I'll praise you, is quoted in Hebrew chapter 2. Let me read it for you. 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 to 12, it's, it goes like this. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to the glory, bringing many sons to the glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that is Jesus, perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is why he is not ashamed, he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell your names to my brothers in the midst of congregation, I will sing your praises. Do you see the exact same verses? So what does this verse mean? Is Jesus, as he suffered, as he perfected through suffering, he has brought many brothers, us, into relationship. Brothers, we do not call God our Father because it is written here. It is because Jesus was perfected through suffering, because he is obedient. That's how we come to enjoy the fellowship with God. We shouldn't underestimate it. There was a huge cost that went through that. An amazing fellowship being called by Jesus brothers. And not because compared to Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, not because there is nothing to be ashamed about us. That's not the reality. But he made us worthy by bearing all our shame so that no shame will come to you. There is no shame. No shame at all. You do not have to bear any shame because he has bared it and truly you become children of God. Such a great word of praise. And then we come to praise him. He's leading us into praise. He's leading us into praising God. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. A praise that is much greater than verse 3. Because we praise him with an intimate relationship. As brothers of Jesus. Beholding the glory of God. Again in verse 26. It continues. Not only us but it continues. The afflicted praise him. See the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. So you see there is praise of the afflicted actually those who seek the Lord if you are seeking the Lord even in the affliction there is praise and joy for you verse 27 to verse 28 all the end of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Now, it is far more beyond Israel. It is throughout all the nations. This psalm is not about psalm for the Israel. It's psalm for all of us. For all of us who come to Jesus. Now, the beautiful thing is we see that the world, as we have seen in Matthew, have gave they're back to Jesus. They were enemy to him. They crucified him. 
But now, because he has endured and died and suffered and has raised again, the whole world turned to him. See, all the end of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. So basically, repentance did not come because we simply preached repentance. Or you read books on repentance. Of course, God uses all this to bring the message across. But the, the real reality why repentance come was because Jesus has died and has risen from the dead. If he has not died and he has not risen from the dead, there is no repentance for you. Nothing. There is no ground on which you can repent. You cannot turn to God. You are, one, you are incapable of doing it. Two, you don't have ground to do that. But here we see Jesus going through all this agony and securing even our repentance. And now, he's not only enthroned in Israel, as in verse 3, but now he, in Jesus, rules and enthroned over all nations. He's king of the universe. Not that he didn't rule, but in an intimate way. Now we don't see the history of Israel and we, can, we wouldn't say, okay, I mean, we are different. No, 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 no. The same God, because of Jesus is the king, he is your king. He's your God. You can come to him. Verse 29. Again, praise that is unconditional. That is very powerful. Unconditional praise. Unconditional praise. See, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship you. The prosperous, the one who's prospering, worship you. But not always everyone is prosperous or not in all your life will be prosperous. Continue saying, before him shall bow all who go down to dust, who are close to dying. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. So basically, prosperous, non-prosperous, no matter what stage of your life is, Jesus is sufficient for your joy and for your worship. And you have a hope that is secured. You don't have to be forsaken. You don't have to be forsaken at all. Because he has done that. And hence, your praise will never change because of him. This is the ultimate privilege that we have as we come to God, brothers. Everyone gets happy when something good happens. And everyone gets sad when something bad happens. I mean, that happens. And everyone will say, that is life, right? No, no. The joy and the happiness that we get in Christ is unshakable. And in this is the ground in which God builds us. This is the joy that is building in our life. This is why we came to Jesus. Because no one can take our joy from us. Verse 30 and verse 31. As the psalm concluded, it became clear for us. This psalm is not for one generation, but for future generations, including us. Posterity shall serve him. That means coming generation, future generation, will serve him. Will serve God in Christ Jesus because Jesus will be the king even generations after. 
He's an amazing king whom we serve with joy. I mean, we ruled ourselves. And it was burdensome. We have a lot of cares. We could not hold by ourselves. We see this world. We see these issues. We see these matters. Everything is temporary. If you want the meekest of all, the meekest king that you can live for and that you can serve with joy, that is King Jesus whom God is reigning through. Then see, it shall be told to the Lord's coming generation. So, of the Lord, it will coming of what this has been done, it will be told to generations. That's what we are doing now. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn that he has done it. That means it is finished. He has done it. He has fulfilled it so that this praise is a reality for us today. And that's why we're telling this righteousness. Because there is comfort. This is, there is this king who's reigning. There is this king in whom we can find refuge. There is this king who passed through all this unspeakable affliction and pain. And forsaken them so that you won't be forsaken. And he has brought you into relationship to God. No one can take your joy from you. And your king will never be changed. He is a king forever for whom you can live and rest on. And this king, the beauty thing, is, is not only our king, but he did not call us simply servants, but he called us brothers, friends. Do you see? Our king, our brother, our everything in whom all joy, all praise, and all worship rely on. And we can praise in him, brothers. That's my call. Do not place your happiness and your joy scattered. Know the price that is paid for you here. This is intense price that is paid. And find your heart, let your heart find refuge there. Let it rest there. Behold the glory of God that is revealed in death and resurrection of Jesus. If you haven't experienced this, come to the Lord. Why go up and down with heavens? Come to the Lord who has been forsaken for you so that you can enjoy the fellowship with God who brought you into relationship. Who have given you praise and led you to the highest of praise for God's glory and for your joy and rest. Let us pray. How much love do you have for us, God? How much love? How much did you love us? What is the cost of our life? Far beyond as we can pay. What, what did we do to you? We were your enemies. Finding our own ways around life. And did not want to submit to you. But Lord, you forsake your son, your beloved obedient son on the cross. So that 
we all those sinners will not be forsaken. But you, through Jesus, come searching for us and have rescued us from days and from sin and have brought us into a relationship with you. Oh God, when we speak the word Father, we know now the intensity of the cost you paid. Oh Jesus, what an obedience. What an obedience. Mocked, crucified, forsaken, abandoned, and then bear the ultimate pain, and yet you did not forsake us. You saved us. You have called us brothers by carrying all our shame. And now, because of you, Lord, we are able to call God our Father. And because of you, we are filled with praises. Father, fill our heart now and open our eyes so that we can behold this beautiful apex of glory. We thank you, Jesus, for all what you have done. For you are our king. Lord, let us rest in you. And Father, we thank you for such a gift. Holy Spirit, come. Come, open our hearts so that we can behold this glory and be transformed by it. So that understanding this cost today, all our lords and caring are lightened. So that we are free before you. So that we can rejoice before you, Lord. So that we can praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, in the one who has finished everything, in him, your only son, we pray by being in the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ's name, amen. It's a great uh, blessing to serve you. Uh, it's a great joy and it's a great privilege to be in the service of the Lord. Uh, grace, though, we are going to receive it for free, as we just have read. It was not free for God. It came with a, a great cost. So it cost it for him. It costed God, but it was free for us. And love is also not costless. It was, it was reckless love that pursued us. And fellowship did not come for free as well. Jesus was forsaken so that we can have fellowship with him. So receive the blessing of the Lord. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, be with us all. Amen.